It's great to be with you. Like uh, Adam said, my name's Steve. I get the privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at First Free Church. Uh, A little bit about myself. I come from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up. Go Eagles, anyone? Okay, no? Um, Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. And all you have to do is show up to one sporting event in Philadelphia and know that we are the city of brotherly love in name only. Um, it's, it's bad when your, your fan base's biggest accomplishment is throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. Okay, that if, if you're wondering what the heck that is, look it up, it happened. We were angry at a game and, and ruined Santa Claus uh, for children everywhere. Um, and so I moved out to, uh, to Indiana, uh, went to college out in Taylor University. That's where I met my wife. Some of you know her as Abby Glidewell. She grew up here. Um, it took me uh, till the end of my senior year to finally uh, muster up the courage to ask her on a date. And she said yes. She didn't know she was being asked on a date at first. So, you know, thank God for the element of surprise. Um, And uh, we got married uh, shortly after she graduated from college. And we lived in Indianapolis where I got to serve at a really incredible church, Northview Church, which uh, is just doing some amazing things in the state of Indiana. Has uh, campuses all over. Has campuses in prison too, which is really cool to be able to actually, I got the opportunity to worship side by side with offenders in in, in a prison uh, through the result of that ministry. So God is doing some amazing things in Indiana, and uh, God just called us this past uh, spring and uh, said, hey, your time here is done, and so when God says move, you say, okay, fine, I'll do it. Uh, you know, not gonna, not gonna be like Jonah and go the other way, because that didn't work out for him. Uh, and so we uh, went out to... Uh, out here and interviewed and just fell in love with the people here and have just been so blessed since we started in June to be a part of First Free Church. We believe that God is just going to do some incredible things and is already doing incredible things. Uh, Abby and I have just talked so many times about, man, we are just, we, we, the, we can just feel the spirit stirring in this congregation and just cannot wait to see God move in some mighty, mighty ways uh, through, uh, through this congregation and as a result of, of just the leadership of our uh, elders and uh, Adam's direction of the church, which we're just so excited um, to be uh, a part of. So without further ado, we can jump into our series. We are, uh, like Adam said, the art of being an ordinary. Uh, Jesus started his ministry and uh, and, uh, is going around and and performing miracles left and right. He's healing people, which is amazing. Um, And so uh, naturally, if you hear of someone, hey, this guy is going around performing miracles, doing things that nobody else has done, and he's healing people, naturally people are going to start congregating and coming and, and in masses and being like, what? I got to see this for myself and see if this is true or not. And so there are just crowds and crowds starting to, to amass around Jesus. And Jesus uh, is sitting there and he goes, all right, you know what? 
let's, uh, let's take this opportunity to kind of to introduce the kingdom that I'm bringing and, and my mission for the world. And so he has everyone sit down. And, and I mean, you can imagine this is a person with so much power, power like you've never seen before. And he just healed your, your second cousin Louise of something. And you're like, this is amazing. I want to hear what this guy has to say. And so they're all on the edge of their seats. I mean, they're on the ground, so they don't have seats. But they're on the edge of their rocks, I guess, okay? And they're sitting and they're, they're, they're just ready to hear what this guy has to say because it's going to be amazing. And, and so Jesus gives, starts out his sermon and just goes, hey, this is, these are the characteristics. I'm going to give you a list of the characters of what it looks like to be a follower of me. And, and he starts with every single characteristic by saying, blessed are, or God blesses those who have these characteristics. And it's not saying, um, he's, he's not saying uh, uh, blessed in the, in, in the, in the term of, of, of being fortunate or, or, um, or good or whatever. He, he's saying uh, blessed, uh, and, and the meaning behind that is happiness. So he's saying, happy are these people with these characteristics. And God makes these people happy who have these characteristics. But all the characteristics are like crazy, right? He starts with poor in spirit. He's like, happy are the poor in spirit. And he says, happy are, are those who mourn. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. So he's taking, uh, he's, he's taking these things and he's flipping the world upside down. And it's just crazy. So he gets down the list and, and finally uh, leads us to our final beatitude. Uh, this morning, and that's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. So if you want to turn uh, with me uh, <clears throat> in your Bibles, or you can go on the Version app for that, it says this, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are those who are persecuted. That is crazy, right? I, I can't imagine anyone sh- was coming this morning like, man, I... R- you know, the list is almost done. I really hope he adds persecuted to this list because that just, it just feels like that's missing from this list, right? Nobody, nobody here was like excited to hear, man, happy are the persecuted. Yeah. I don't hear any cheering. Okay. Well, uh, <clears throat> because it's crazy and it's crazy it is for us to hear. It was even crazier for, for the Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to because the Jews at the time, they had this expectation that the promised Messiah, the person who's supposed to come back and make Israel the greatest nation again and, and restore God's reign over the earth, they expected him to come with military might and physical power. And they were ready for him to come open just, just like Rambo style, kick open the door, all right, and guns blazing and defeat the Roman Empire and it was going to be amazing. But Jesus takes their expectations and just flips them completely upside down and turns the world upside down entirely. And he says all these things, <clears throat> all these seemingly negative characteristics, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those, the peacemakers, why, why should we have peace? Do you see the Roman Empire? They're, they're killing people left and right. We need to fight back. <clears throat> and then finally, this last one, his last characteristic to introduce his sermon, blessed, happy are those who are persecuted. And the Jews certainly felt that, right? They've been persecuted by the Roman government for so long. And rather than having the promised Messiah come in and be like, it's our time, baby, we're taking over. They have... Jesus say, no, you're going to be persecuted. So that is uh, where we are at this morning. And so uh, everything is just upside down. And so how do we make sense of this beatitude? God makes happy those who are persecuted. What kind of hope is that? 
And are there exceptions? Um, we're going to have a three-point outline this morning, so you're welcome for those of you who love to be nice and organized with three-point outlines. I am convinced that the inspiration behind a three-point outline was the Trinity. I'm just saying, all right, that's just my, that's just my two cents. Uh, but we got a three-point outline, so hopefully this is uh, helpful for you. So our first point uh, this morning is our promise. We have a promise, and this comes, this first uh, point comes from uh, Paul. The Apostle Paul, for those of you who are not aware, Apostle Paul was a man who hated Christians in the early church, and he took joy in killing as many as he could and took pride in that, and would travel from city to city as far as he could to kill as many Christians as he could, and then he had one experience, one encounter with a resurrected Jesus Christ, and he became a Christian. And then he became one of the most prolific Christians uh, known to man. Um, and so he's writing a letter here in, in 2 Timothy, as we're going to open up, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And so uh, Paul writes a couple letters to this young man named Timothy. Paul went around planting churches all over Europe and, and Asia Minor. And at one point, he plants a, a church in, in a city called Ephesus, and churches spread across this city. And he leaves this young man named Timothy, who, has a, who he has a close personal relationship with to oversee the churches in Ephesus. And so he writes a few letters from afar and says, hey, Timothy, here is some instruction for leading this church. And so here we are in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. But you, Timothy... Certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people will flourish, they will deceive others, and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Paul talks to Timothy and he says, look, the world is a messed up place. There is sin, there is selfishness, there is greed, there is all sorts of corruption in the world. And even today we can see that all around, right? Just turn on the news for like one and a half seconds and you can see it. Right? We have brokenness in the world. And Paul says... Timothy, our mission, our mission is much different. We're, we are called to live godly lives. We are called to be lights in this world. And then he says this. <clears throat> Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now I saw that phrase and I saw the word everyone. And if you're like me, that makes me a little uneasy. So I started going, all right, maybe this word everyone is a little different. So I looked up the meaning of the word everyone, and I looked how, how the original, uh, in the original language, how it was used in other uh, instances, and I found this. I found that that word for everyone sometimes means all, or anyone, or every person. And now some of you are like, now Steve, that sounds a lot like everyone. Yeah, that's because they mean about the same thing, okay? So there's no going around it. It says everyone, and it means every single person. So everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's our promise. 
According to Paul, it's simple math. If you follow Jesus and you put your trust in him and you want to live a life following God, you will live a life that is diametrically opposed to the way of the world. That's just how it is. They are just two totally different things. That's why Jesus came and and totally flipped the Jewish expectation upside down. But in reality, they had flipped it upside down and he was flipping it right side up. So he's saying, if you want to follow me, you have to be completely opposite of what the world is teaching. And as a result, people are going to hate you. People are not going to like you. People are going to persecute you. Uh, A commentator, one of my favorites, said this, when the faith of God's children has developed sufficiently to be outwardly manifested so that those who do not share it with them begin to take notice, persecution results. When we not only believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross, but when we allow it to affect the way that we live in our daily lives, people will notice it and people will not like it. Because it's so different from the way our world, the sin of our world, teaches us to live. And persecution can look like a variety of different ways. Uh, Right after this beatitude in verse 11, uh, God says this, or, or Jesus says this, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So persecution can be verbal attacks or insults or slanders or physical attacks as we see in other areas of the world. Guys, there are different ways and different degrees to which people can be persecuted. It looks different all over the world, but the, same, the, the principle remains the same in every circumstance of, of persecution. That God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world do not mix well. They just don't mix well. So, um, <clears throat> one, thing, one thing before we move on, though, I need to note. Look back at verse 10. We see God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Uh, there's, there's a phrase here that is interesting that Jesus included this. And it says, God blesses those who are persecuted. And right, right here, he adds this little add-on. For doing right. God blesses those who are doing, for doing right. Why do you think he puts that in? I, I think because we can make one of two mistakes. One, the first is, is pretty obvious. The, the obvious mistake is we can see this promise that we're to be persecuted as followers of Jesus and we can just avoid persecution altogether because the reality is a lot of times we fear people more than we fear God. And I'm guilty of this all the time. There are times where I fear more what other people think or what other people will say of me than what I think about what God thinks and says of me. I care more about People. And so we can avoid persecution. We can just try and live safe, comfortable, secure lives. I think, I think a lot of us have, have, have been guilty of this in the past. In Western culture, it's easy to try to avoid persecution because it's not as prevalent in our society. But on the flip side, we can actually make a, a, another, deadly, another deadly mistake, and that is um, pursuing persecution. See, sometimes... Uh, <clears throat> Sometimes people try to pursue persecution just to be persecuted. And Jesus makes clear, no, 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 no. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. He's not saying God blesses those who are persecuted for their social status or their economic status or their political beliefs. God's saying, no, you are per- God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. This means being persecuted for obedience to Christ 
and nothing uh, else. Don't avoid persecution, but, don't, but also don't uh, pursue persecution. Uh, the late Christopher Hitchens, he uh, was an atheist, and he <clears throat> dealt a lot with Christians. He's read the, he had read the Bible um, many times, and he, termed this, or he coined this term Christian masochists because he read through the Bible and he would, he would debate with people and he would see this, this idea of persecution and like blessed are people who are persecuted and there was all this talk about people who were happy amidst persecution. And, and he made the tragic mistake of thinking that Jesus was saying we were happy because of our persecution. And that's not true. Jesus isn't saying, be happy because you're persecuted. I mean, that is just bewildering. And no wonder Christopher Hitchens was so against Christianity. Don't be a Christian masochist. If you're, if you're mean to your, like, your server at a restaurant this, this afternoon when you go out to lunch and your, your waiter uh, rolls their eyes at you because you're mean to them or gave them a small tip, you're not being persecuted. You're just kind of a jerk, Right? Like, if, if you're on a street corner with a megaphone telling everyone they're going to hell in a handbasket, you, you're, and people snicker at you and make comments, you're not being persecuted. You're just being a person that's hard to like. And, and if you, you go around and make sure everyone knows you're a lot better than them and make sure you point out every one of other people's mistakes, not because you care about your relationship or their relationship with Jesus Christ, but because you want people to know how good you are, guess what? When people don't want to hang out with you, it's not because you're being persecuted. It's because you're just a difficult person to be around. Right? We, want to, we don't want to pursue persecution. Don't avoid persecution, but don't pursue it. That's not the goal here. Jesus doesn't say our motivation to be happy is persecution. He says, no, happier than persecuted because of something else. And so here's our second point. This is our, we have our promise. We have a promise that we will be persecuted. And here's our uh, motivation. And this comes in the following uh, verse <clears throat> in this beatitude. So we have God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Here we go. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Our happiness during persecution is not because of persecution, but in spite of it. Our happiness in persecution is because the kingdom of God is ours when we follow Jesus. And I'm not talking about the kingdom of God will be ours. Jesus says it right here, is present, is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is, belongs to those who follow Jesus. It's right here, right now. We like to think of, of, uh, of heaven as this future place that eventually we'll get to God and let's just like, let's get through this life and man, I cannot wait for that day when the Lord takes me home. And that's okay to, to, to be excited for that. But God is asking us to live on mission right here, right now because we are part of his kingdom and we are, we are meant to be bringing his kingdom to the world. And that is amazing that we get to be part of his eternal kingdom. Eternity starts now. Eternity starts the moment we put our trust in Jesus. It doesn't start when we die. It starts right now. If you have your trust in Jesus, you're living for eternity. That is awesome. It's right now. 
And what's more is that someday Jesus will come back and he will bring perfection. There will be no more tears, no more pain. And everything will be amazing and we'll spend eternity with him. And even more than that is Jesus himself promises us that there are eternal riches waiting for us, for those who are faithful to him. We'll actually have rewards in heaven, eternal rewards. Now for some of us who have been, uh, for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, sometimes you can get this altruistic uh, uh, mentality that, that, you know, well, you know, I just want, I just can't wait for heaven because I'll be in the presence of God and that's all I need. I'm not gonna go for award, rewards. That's not why I'm doing this. Like that's wrong. No, Jesus himself says it's okay to seek for rewards. People are like, no, I just want to be in the presence of God. I could sing of your love forever. I'm just going to sing that forever and ever. I could not sing that song forever in heaven. I don't know about you, but also I don't even want to sing in heaven forever. That sounds really boring to just keep singing. I mean, I love our worship team, but I don't know if I could sing forever. Right? No, Jesus says there's more to heaven than just being in my presence. There are eternal rewards waiting for those who are faithful. And Paul himself, throughout the New Testament, Paul faced so much persecution. And all the time when he was talking about his persecution, his motivation was an eternal reward, a crown of riches in eternity. And that is awesome. Eternal riches. Can't even imagine Paul says this, yet what we suffer now, he says this in Romans 8, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Nothing is compared to the eternal riches and rewards that are waiting for those who follow Jesus in heaven. Now, many of you are parents, okay? And many of you have had just the distinct pleasure of having the opportunity to sit with your son or daughter and talk about the birds and the bees, right? And that is just so fun, right? But in all seriousness, it's, it's so awesome uh, when parents actually sit down and talk with their kids. It's so important for parents to talk to with their kids and their students about sex and sexuality because the reality is our culture is, is filled with messages of sex and sexuality that, con- that are contrary to God's purpose for those things. And so it's so important for parents to have those conversations. But for some, for some of you who've had that conversation with a young kid, it can be a little difficult, right? Because to a kid... The greatest thing on planet Earth is chocolate, right? Chocolate is amazing to a kid. They can't think of anything better than that. Now, now for those of us who are adults, we know that there are better things than chocolate, and sex is one of them. And, and so for a parent to talk, now maybe a parent to a, a parent, an adult or a student, they can understand like, heck yeah, sex is better than chocolate, right? Like that is just common sense. But for a kid, that doesn't make sense. So C.S. Lewis uses this, as an illustration, he says, man, a, a kid would never understand the pleasures of sex compared to chocolate. Like, to, to explain to a kid, man, chocolate, there's something better than that? No, that's not possible, right? And of course, when a kid becomes a teenager, then they start to go, oh, okay, I get it now. But C.S. Lewis uses that to illustrate a point that that's kind of how we are. When we think of eternal riches, we can't even imagine 
You know, many would argue uh, that, that sex and sexual pleasure is the greatest physical pleasure that a human being can experience. And yet, there's, like, the etern- they don't even compare. It doesn't even compare to the eternal riches that wait, await us in heaven. I mean, I just think back to when I was a teenager and I used to pray to God, God, let me get married first before you come back, okay? Because I don't want to miss out on this, all right? Please just hold off a few more years uh, and you can come after my honeymoon. No, but that is just a poor understanding, of the incredible riches of eternity with Jesus, nothing compares, nothing. And so we're so blessed because we have the kingdom of God. The of this world doesn't compare or matter and yet many of us, myself included, we often live like we have allegiance to this world. We live as if we don't belong to this kingdom because we really kind of just want to belong to this kingdom because there's a lot of cool stuff in this kingdom. And I, 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 for one, am so guilty. We are so, we are such a materialistic culture and I fall for this all the time. I'm so much about the things of this world and not the things of eternal riches. I mean, one trip to Costco will prove that for me, okay? Even just yesterday, we went to Costco and we said, we're just getting one thing. That is the biggest lie that anyone can ever tell you. And, and here's another thing. If you're trying to just get one or two things at Costco, don't bring a cart with you, okay? Because you will fill that cart up and you'll walk out and you'll be like, how much is it? Oh, I can't afford that click. Oh, well, I already paid for it, so, right? We are such a materialistic culture. We love things and it's okay to have things. I'm not saying it's bad to have things and have a great house and things like that. But, but when those things get in the way of us desiring the eternal riches that await us in heaven, they become a problem. Our motivation needs to be Jesus. Jesus alone, I want, I want my allegiance to be to God alone. I don't wanna stand before the Father when he returns and present myself as a traitor for so long and look back, man, I just, I just didn't care about your kingdom all my life. Let me say this, that doesn't mean uh, I'm gonna become dogmatic on things that aren't in scripture, right? I'm not gonna make up all these rules to be perfect. I'm not gonna shelter myself away from the world because I need to remain pure and, and cleansed and not from these sinners all around me. No, it means exactly the opposite. Guys, our mission as Christians isn't to avoid people. Our mission as Christians isn't to seek security and comfort. Here's our third point. This is our mission. I think we can learn our mission uh, from Paul. Yet again, we'll go back to Paul. And he's actually, uh, this is in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 27. And this is probably one of my favorite passages in the whole New Testament. And um, Paul is saying goodbye to the church of Ephesus. This is the church that Timothy helped lead. And this is a church that, that Paul spent a lot of time with, had a lot of deep relationships there. And he knew that this was his last time he was gonna see these people. So he calls, calls the leaders of the church in, and, and they're all around and, and, and it's a teary goodbye. The Bible says that there was weeping and, and they were, I mean, it was just sad because he knew he wouldn't see him again. And they were dear friends. And he left them with, I think, Paul's most bold declaration that he ever made. He says this in verses 26 through 27. And now I know 
that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Paul makes this insane declaration that in all his interactions with the church of Ephesus, he didn't once hesitate to declare the truth of God to them. And he says that when I get to heaven and I see people who are condemned to hell from this, from this area in Ephesus, because they rejected God, I am innocent of them. Another translation is, he says, I am innocent of the blood of any of you. It's not my fault because I declared the truth to you and never hesitated. When I read this, I go, man, I don't think I can make that declaration today if I met my father in heaven. I don't, there are so many times where I hesitated to declare the whole truth of God to someone. Again, that's not in a megaphone on a street corner. But I mean in those moments, whether it's at a Home Depot or a grocery store, and I feel the spirit tugging me to just say something to that person. And I'm like, mm, pass. And I just walk away. And I don't know about you, but when I read this declaration by Paul, every single time I read it, I go, man, I just want more than anything else. I want to be able to stand before my Father when the judge and the creator of all things is separating those who accepted him and trusted in him on his right from those who rejected him on his left. I want to be able to stand there and say, I'm innocent. I'm innocent of any of those people that rejected Jesus because I did my best to declare the truth of God to people around me. And I never hesitated even in the face of persecution. I mean, I just, I crave for that moment. Forget all the eternal riches, forget eternity with God. I just crave that moment when God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't hesitate to declare the truth of God to other people. Even just those words are so worth any persecution I could suffer on this earth, any ridicule, any insults, any pain doesn't even compare. I hope every person in this room and everyone who's watching online can do the same. My prayer is that we have this as our mission, that we do not seek persecution, but we seek to declare the love of God to a lost and broken world, even when that means we will face ridicule and mockery and persecution. When we share in the kingdom of God, we share in the inheritance of his son, we share the, the distinct pleasure of being called God's sons and daughters. We share in the glory of God. Why shouldn't we share in the persecution of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus, who was perfect, lived a perfect life, And died a sinner's death, an awful death, crucified, naked, flogged, beaten, and, and ridiculed the whole time. Why shouldn't we share in the persecutions of Jesus? As we gear up uh, for baptism here in a little bit, I'm sure some of you can't help but wonder, why on earth did we pick this topic for baptism? This is supposed to be an exciting morning. 
Like, come on. Such a downer. Before you think I'm like some pathological killjoy, let me say this. Let's just pause and think about uh, this. Jesus never sugarcoated anything. Jesus never sugarcoated his ministry. I mean, right there in the very beginning of his ministry, he made it very clear it was going to be hard to be his followers. And later on, he had his disciples, and he's walking with his disciples, and he stops his disciples. He's like, hey, hold on. Before we keep moving forward with this whole following me thing, I want you to count the cost. I want you to think about if it's actually worth following me, because you know that it's going to cost you a lot to follow me. And there were times where Jesus said weird things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and people were like, yeah, I'm out. And he lost a ton of followers. He said hard things to his followers. He said them because he didn't want his ministry to be some bait and switch. There was no bait and switch to Jesus' ministry. It wasn't like, all right, you guys get free candy if you come to the Sermon on the Mount and then tomorrow we'll do another sermon, it'll be great. No, Right from the very beginning, he told his followers, if you follow me, it's gonna cost you something. If you follow me, there was no health and wealth to this. It wasn't, man, you're just gonna be so prosperous and everything's gonna go your way once you follow Jesus. It's gonna be great. No, he's like, dude, life's gonna be pretty darn tough if you follow me, sometimes harder because you're following me. And what's amazing is that in the early New Testament, When Jesus commanded, hey, go tell everyone, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. People were being baptized knowing when they came out of that water and they declared Jesus as their Lord that they were at risk of persecution. Not even just at risk. It wasn't wasn't like potential persecution. It was promised persecution. And yet they saw that as still worth following Jesus, following Jesus still worth suffering that. What's really cool is that every time someone gets baptized, there are people baptized around the world even today that come out of the water and have that same perspective of, I could be at fear right now of someone coming in and I'll be arrested, I'll lose my citizenship, I might even lose my life, but Jesus is so worth it, I'll be baptized and I will declare him to the end of my life. And what's even more amazing is we have people even today who will be baptized, who will go home to a country that is not so welcoming of religious freedom, where this is very real to them. And while that is a sobering reality, while that should cause us to see the severity of, 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 of a um, declaration of following Jesus, that should cause us to rejoice because those people Here today, and for those of you who have been baptized in the past, you've joined a family tree, an ever-growing family tree that has been growing for 2,000 years since the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has said, you know what? I get that it's gonna be hard, but Jesus Christ is so much more worth following than this world. And that is awesome to celebrate. That is something worth celebrating every single day that people give their life to Jesus despite the cost, despite the risk, despite giving up their life for him. And so I, I, man, I hope that today you join us for baptism. That it is just such a cause for celebration. 
that despite the severity of following Jesus, it is so worth it. Real quick, before we close, I just first wanna recognize how blessed we are as a nation that we have freedom of religion here in, in the United States. That is an awesome thing. That is something we should never take for granted. And I don't say this to guilt anyone, like shame on you for being in a free nation. No, that is so awesome. That is a blessing that God has provided for us to live in this nation. But let's never take that for granted. Let us always remember that as a cause for praising God. And let that always motivate us to pray for those Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world who don't share those same luxuries. And also let's remember that persecution still exists in the United States. It may not look the same, the severity may be different, but it still exists. And if we're truly following Jesus, not, not hiding from persecution, but also not pursuing it. If we're just pursuing Jesus and trying to declare the whole will of God to people and the truth of God to people, we're gonna face it. We're gonna face persecution. So let us uh, celebrate baptism this morning. And after, let's go out today determined to live on mission for sharing the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ with whoever God puts in our paths not avoiding persecution, not seeking it, but seeking to be able to stand before our Father someday and declare that we did not hesitate to declare his truth to those around us. And that persecution we face is not worth comparing to the eternal riches that await for us before our Father. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. I thank you so much um, for each person in this room this morning. God, I thank you uh, for the gift of the cross, God, that you sent your son Jesus to die a criminal's death for us, even while we were still sinners. And God, I thank you for those in this room who put their trust in you. And God, I especially thank you for those this morning who want to declare that through baptism and declare their faith in you, realizing that persecution is a promise. And yet, the suffering that we face in this world is not even worth comparing to the eternal riches in heaven. God, let that be our motivation. God, let us be a church that lives on mission, that declares the whole truth to those who we interact with each and every day. God, keep us just humbled by your grace, knowing that we're not perfect and that we mess up that you still love us just the same. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name. Amen.